calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash pandemic. Chapter 25 Sophia Cooper Mitchell stared down the barrel of a gun. A woman held it. She was 20-something, young enough to still be called a girl. She tied her black hair back in a loose ponytail. A look of anger and pain swirled in her dark eyes. The girl's right hand clutched her right side, where blood turned her yellow shirt a disturbing reddish-orange. She looked pale and weak. She held the black pistol in her shaking left hand. Don't move, she said. Don't you fucking move! Cooper's hands came up. He stayed as still as he could. He'd never had a gun pointed at him before. He'd waited in the boiler room, hoping Jeff might return, but not for long. Not after he found other cocoons in the shadows. Cooper had gathered up Jeff's coat, then wandered the basement, looking for his friend, looking for a weapon. When he'd turned a corner... He'd almost walked right into this gunslinging girl. Cooper bent a little, lowered his shoulders, tried to look as unthreatening as he could. Don't shoot, he said. Please put that down. I'm not one of them. Assuming she would know what them was, that he hadn't hallucinated the whole thing, that he hadn't dreamed about his best friend wrapped up in a membrane, hadn't imagined strangling a triangle-tongued man to death, hadn't made up the people with inhuman voices and swollen yellow feet. Her trembling aim stayed fixed on his face. Mister, if you think I'm going to put this down, you're fucking retarded. Fine, just try not to aim it right at me, okay? The way your hand is twitching, you might kill me by accident. Her eyes shifted to the gun. Her eyebrows raised. She hadn't realized she was shaking. She lowered the gun rested it against her thigh. She sagged a little to the left. Her foot slid over quickly to maintain her balance. She was exhausted. How much blood had she lost? The girl jutted her chin at him. Stick out your tongue, she said. The man in the boiler room, with the triangles on his tongue. She'd seen the same thing and was guarding against it. That meant she was normal. Thank God, Cooper said. A lady, you don't know what I've... 
The gun snapped up again, the barrel's tiny black hole a window into death. Your tongue, asshole! And then Cooper realized that he had no idea if he had triangles on his tongue or not. He rubbed it against the roof of his mouth, trying to feel bumps. He couldn't feel anything. But did that mean they weren't there? And if he had them, was he going to wind up like the bald guy? Give us a smooch. She moved her right foot back, widening her stance. She straightened her arm. She moved with confidence, like she'd done it before. This girl knew how to use a gun. Her hand stopped trembling. Last chance, mister! Cooper closed his eyes. He stuck out his tongue. Open your mouth wider. Stick it out farther. He did. He wondered if he'd hear the bang or if everything would just end. The girl let out a sigh of relief. <sighs> okay. I guess you're okay. Just don't come near me, and if you try for the gun, I'll put you down. Cooper's heart thudded fast and loud, each pump, pump raging through his ears and temples. He opened his eyes. <sighs> sure. We need to get out of this hallway. Find a place to hide. She nodded. Her gunfighter's stance had sagged. Her eyes fluttered. She took a step back, then stumbled. He rushed forward without thinking, his right arm sliding around the small of her back, supporting her. I got you. I got you. For a moment, her strength gave out completely. He was the only thing holding her up. Then she stood, pushed him away. She didn't point the gun at him, but it was close enough. I told you to stay away! His hands returned to the palms-up position. Sorry, you were going to fall. She started to say something, but somewhere in the basement a door opened, slammed open. The sound echoed through the hall. He couldn't wait for her anymore. Lady, I'm finding a place to hide. Come with me if you want. He walked away from the noises, down the concrete hallway. They were still in a service area. Laundry, storage, linens, maybe a kitchen. At the end of the hall he saw double doors, a rectangular window in each. Cooper walked to the doors, looked through the glass, a carpeted hallway. He didn't see any movement. The noises from behind grew louder. He pressed the metal latch that ran horizontally along the door. Unlocked. He pushed the door open and stepped through. His feet fell silently on the carpet. Little brass plaques hung to the right of the closed wooden doors lining both sides of the wide hall. He turned to call for her and almost knocked her over. Hey, chick with a gun, my not sneaking up on me for fuck's sake. Sorry, she said. Then her hand was on his back, half urging him forward, half leaning against him for support. Hurry, someone is coming. Cooper walked to the first door on his left. He pushed it open. Inside, darkness, save for the light from the hall flooding in, illuminating a dozen tables covered with white tablecloths and surrounded by folding chairs. He forced himself to enter. Three steps in, he heard a soft click, and the room lights suddenly flickered on. His eyes adjusted instantly, ready and expecting to see something coming for him, but nothing moved. A carpeted wall on the left, one of those sliding dividers on the right. The room was about twenty feet wide and forty feet deep. Some of the tables had open laptops on them, along with pens and pads of paper embossed with the Trump Tower logo. Open bottles of water, 
half-full cups of coffee, and a body. A bloody mess of a body. A man, still wearing a black suit, face down, arms spread out across blood-streaked carpet. His head looked dented, smashed and cracked beneath a wet mop of black hair. In front of him lay a folded metal chair, the side of the seat streaked with blood and matted with bits of that same hair. Cooper heard the door quietly close behind him. We have to hide, the girl said. Fast, they're coming. He heard noises outside the door, had images of a horde of villagers storming down some gothic German street, torches raised high as they came to kill the monster. Except he was the monster they wanted dead. Hide? There wasn't any place to hide. He was in a hotel conference room. Please, I can't stand. Help me. He turned to look at her, so pale. The pistol hung heavy in her grip, as if it was all she could do to keep it from falling to the floor. So easy to take it from her. He pushed the thought away, moved to the back of the room. He tipped two of the round tables on their edges, tops facing the door. Tablecloths fell into wrinkled piles. The table's metal legs kept the round tops from rolling. The end of the world had come, and his defense against the boogeyman was a child's fort. He rushed back to the woman. Come on. We can lie back here. If they do open the door, maybe they won't see us and they'll move on. He helped her walk behind the tables. She stared down at them doubtfully. This is the best you can do? I left my army tank in my other pants. He helped ease her down gently. As soon as she sat, he saw her relax, the last of her fight slipping away. The girl looked at him through half-lidded eyes. She whispered, What's your name? Cooper. Yours. Sophia. That's a sexy name. He gave his head a sharp shake. What the hell was he doing? Was he hitting on this girl? Now? Or maybe it was a nervous thing, an impulse to make this insanity feel at least a tiny bit normal. That's funny. I don't feel all that sexy right now. The noises outside the room grew louder. Whoever it was, they were coming close. It wasn't just the sound of people talking loudly. Cooper heard doors opening. Sophia lifted the gun again, but this time butt first. She offered him the handle. He took it. His hand slid around the grip. His finger felt the cool reassurance of the trigger. The room's lights went out. The sensor that detected motion didn't pick up their movements from behind the tables. Cooper made himself as small as he could. Gun in hand, he waited. The room door flew open, letting in dim light from the hall. Cooper gripped the gun tighter. Should he pop up and fire? No. No, he would wait just a moment more. Maybe the person would leave. On the other side of the overturned table, just fifteen feet away, someone was standing in the doorway. Cooper waited. Seconds later, that angular swath of light narrowed, narrowed, blinked out, accompanied by the door latch's soft click. Cooper leaned to the side, peeked out under the edge of the round tabletop. It was too dark. He couldn't see anything. His right hand held the gun out in front of him. With his left, he reached up above his head and waved. The lights blinked on. The room was empty. They're gone. 
she leaned against him. Thank God. Sophia slid down to her side, rested her head in his lap. He started to stroke her hair, an automatic movement. Then he realized that while she had checked him for triangles, he had never checked her. Your tongue. Let me see it. She didn't complain. She looked up at him, opened her mouth wide, and stuck out her tongue. Normal. (sighs) Thanks. She put her head back in his lap. He resumed stroking her hair. They were two strangers trying to deal with the incomprehensible, finding small comfort in physical contact. Cooper, you got a phone? He nodded. You? Battery's dead. I called 911 about a hundred times. No one answered. I called all my people. Same thing. Think maybe I could use yours to call my son? Cooper pulled his phone out of his pocket. His battery icon showed one bar out of five. Not much power left. He handed it to her. She took it, gratitude in her eyes. She slowly dialed a number, put the phone to her ear. Cooper watched, waited. Sophia's face held only a shred of hope, a shred that didn't last long. Cooper heard the mumbled words of someone's voicemail, then the beep. Baby, it's Mama. I'm still alive. If you get this, call me at this number, okay? Please, baby. I love you. She disconnected, but held the phone to her chest. I'm sorry to ask this, but do you mind if I hold on to it? I I just wouldn't want to miss the call if it comes in. Cooper started to say no, but who was he going to call? Jeff wasn't answering. Neither was 911. Cooper didn't know a soul in Chicago. If it gave this woman some comfort to hold on to the phone, that was fine, as long as they stuck together. Sure. Listen, I'm not a doctor, but maybe I should look at your wound. She nodded. She reached down to pull up her bloody shirt. He helped her. Cooper had never seen a gunshot wound before. He wasn't sure what he was looking at, what he was looking for. But despite the blood, it didn't seem that bad. The bullet hadn't gone through her as much as it had ripped off a chunk of her side. He gently put a finger near the wound, not on it, and pressed. She hissed in pain. How's it look, mister? I'm not a doctor. He shrugged. Don't really know. Don't think you're going to die, but we need to stop the bleeding. Cooper looked around, saw the piled up tablecloth. He grabbed a handful and dragged it over. Sophia, this is going to hurt. Can't hurt any worse than it already does. Go for it. He gently laid the tablecloth on her side, then pressed down. Her body stiffened. She hissed in an angry breath. Shit! Guess I was wrong. Direct pressure. I have to. I know. I know. Just talk about something else, okay? You from around here? No. Michigan. Lions fan? Unfortunately, yes, all my life. Sucks to be you. Go Bears. I work here. Front desk, hospitality. Cooper remembered calling for security after seeing the wounded teenage kid outside his room. Do you work with a woman named Carmela? He felt Sophia nod. I think she's infected. I called down earlier. She said some awful things. 
That doesn't mean much. Even before this started, Carmella was a real bitch. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. They sat in silence for a moment. The lights clicked out, once again drenching them in darkness. So, what brings you to town? Work. I mean, a post-work celebration kind of thing. We work on a boat and just finished up a big job. We? My partner and me. You gay? (laughs) The other kind of partner. Cooper thought of telling her about the cocoons, but if he did... She might think Jeff was something to be shot, not someone to be saved. He was gone when I woke up this morning. I can't find him. They fell silent for a moment. He stroked her hair, felt her relax a little more. This shit is insane. I heard the president was saying something about it a couple of days ago. But I have two jobs. Who has time to follow politics, right? Yesterday morning, we got a delivery of that inoculant gunk she was talking about. It was meant for the rich guests. I sneaked a bottle, drank it. Maybe that's why I'm not sick. Cooper remembered the speech, remembered Blackman talking about some kind of medicine. Is there any more of that stuff here? He felt her shrug. I don't think so. Most of it got delivered to the top floors, the suites. Blackman's medicine had arrived in time to help make a difference, and the one percenters got priority? It infuriated him. 
but he knew he shouldn't be surprised. Some things never change. He felt Sophia's blood cooling in the damp tablecloth. How'd you wind up getting shot? She paused, seemed to gather herself. This morning, all this shit was going on outside. Explosions, fires. These two pigs came in. We thought they were there to take care of things, you know. But they just started shooting people. Peter, a guy who was working with me, they shot him in the head. They got a couple others, too, I think. I don't know for sure, because I ran. She sounded a little guilty, as if she should have gone all Rambo on two trigger-happy psycho cops. You're alive. You did what you had to do. He felt her shrug again. I guess. One of them shot me just as I reached the stairs. He followed me down. He cornered me. He... I think he was going to rape me or something. Cooper remembered the bald man. Give us a smooch. He tried to kiss you? That why he wanted to see my tongue? He felt Sophia nod. Asshole was crazy. He tried to pull me close. He had both hands on my shoulders. He was so strong. I kicked him in the balls and it didn't do anything. I think he laughed like it was a fun game or something. He came at me again. He stuck his tongue in my mouth. I felt those fucking bumps. They stung. Cooper tried not to flinch, to jerk away. He realized he'd made a huge mistake. Just because her tongue looked normal didn't mean she wasn't infected. She claimed to have taken the inoculant, but how did he know she was telling the truth? Was she going to change? Was she changing that very second? Would she attack him the way the bald man had? He looked down at her, a dark, warm shape in his lap. She was a danger. He had a gun. All he had to do was put a bullet in her. Then he'd be safe for certain. But Sophia seemed normal. He needed normal. Maybe she wasn't lying about drinking the stuff from the government. Maybe she was fine. Maybe. I think your bleeding is slowing down. How do you feel? You mean aside from being shot? He nodded. Aside from that. Fine, I guess. If you don't count the fact that you're jamming your fist into my bullet wound. He wanted to hear the rest of her story. So how did you get away from the cop? She paused. He felt her arms slide around his back. Felt her pull herself tighter to him. She was tough, no question. But there was still a frightened woman in there. A frightened woman who wanted comfort. He was forcing me to kiss him. He had his hands on my shoulders. His gun was in his holster. I grabbed it. For the first time, Cooper actually looked at the flat black pistol in his hand. The faint red light of the exit sign played off the black barrel, enough for him to read the engraving on the side. Springfield Armory, USA, along with the stylized letters XDM. Cooper had never owned a gun. He'd been to a firing range three times in his life, all three times with Jeff, all three times just for fun. He hadn't totally forgotten how to work a pistol. He pushed the release lever, slid the magazine out. On the back of the magazine, he saw two vertical rows, tiny dots that looked gold if a bullet was in there, black if there wasn't. 
He counted seven spots of gold. Hold sixteen rounds. After the cop, other men tried to get me. I only missed twice. One in the chamber, so you've got eight left. He turned the weapon this way and that, looking for an orange dot. Where's the safety? Trigger and backstrap safeties. Don't worry about them. Just hold the gun tight. Give the trigger a smooth pull. Her voice dropped to barely a hiss. He heard anguish in her words. It will shoot. Trust me on that. The gunshots he'd heard while in the boiler room. How many of those had been hers? He'd killed the bald man with his bare hands. She'd killed people with this gun. It's okay, Cooper said, unsure if he was consoling her or himself. You did what you had to do. So did I. And in that moment, he knew he was in this with Sophia all the way. Whatever the fuck was going on, they would face it together. He kept pressing the tablecloth against her side, even though his arm was starting to tire. It had to hurt her, hurt her bad, but in seconds she started to snore. Cooper Mitchell sat in the darkness, this brave stranger's head in his lap, wondering what the hell they should do next. Chapter 26 Day 10 Hashtag Apocalypse At Ticonderoga OMG, my neighbor just went apeshit and attacked his wife. Pittsburgh PD shot him dead. Can't believe this is happening. At Pickle Thruster 10. 15 car pile up on I 80 South. Looks like a guy cut in front of a tanker truck. Traffic at a dead stop. Not going anywhere. Hashtag fucking traffic. Hashtag Asian drivers. At Long Island ICT. If anyone gets this, we're trapped on roof at West 139th and Amsterdam. Cops aren't responding to 911. This guy's trying to kill us. Please send help. At Alabama Crama. Explosions in downtown MLPS. News coverage spotty says 30, 40 dead. Many more injured. At Boston underscore police. Emergency notice. 24-hour curfew in effect. Stay in your homes. Do not let anyone in. Do not go into public areas. Do not approach police officers. At White Sox Chum. Where the fuck is the Nat God? Riot in the street. I see dead bodies. Where are the cops? This is insane. At Baco Emergency. Power is out throughout Baltimore. No ETA on recovery. Conserve cell phone power. Fill all available pots with water. Do not drink tap water after 5 p.m. Chapter 27 The City of Lights Murray watched it unfold on the Situation Room's big monitor. The estimates were changing, some for the better, some for anything but. Immunized, 43%. Not immunized, 50%. Unknown, 7%. Finished doses en route, 70,115,000. Doses in production, 58,653,000. And at the bottom... Infected, 976,500, parentheses, 1,800,000. 
converted, 250,250, parentheses, 187,000. Deaths, 13,457, parentheses, 30,000. They'd added parentheses to the bottom numbers, representing global totals. The outbreaks of America and England were already producing cataclysmic numbers. China remained silent. That nation's numbers could only be estimated based on limited satellite data, and the stories of the refugees trickling into Myanmar and Vietnam. No refugees were hitting Japan, however. The Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force sank anything that came near the coast. Murray didn't know if those casualties were counted in the tally. As for France, well, the number of deaths in parentheses would need to be updated. Paris burned. The screen showed different angles of a city ablaze. Fire raged, consuming buildings both classic and new. The dancing orange demons cast tall, flickering spires up to the night sky, spewing pillars of smoke into the blackness above. Motherfucking Paris. Some of the shots were from helicopters, some from the ground well outside the city proper, and two came from satellites. The scenes reminded Murray of watching the shock and awe of Desert Storm, but it was even worse than that. This level of destruction hadn't been seen since World War II, since Dresden. He was watching a firestorm. The unthinkable scenario had begun just a few hours earlier. There was no chance of controlling it. The French government had stopped giving death toll updates. The president, his cabinet, and much of the legislature had fled the city, hoping to set up somewhere else, to maintain government, to keep the head attached to the snake. Everyone who could get out of Paris probably already had. Those who remained in the city were either dead or about to die. Black, white, Arab, native sons and daughters, immigrants. Today there was no confusion about French identity. Burned bodies all looked the same. This can't be happening, Andre Vogel said. When China shut off communications, Vogel's veneer of confidence had shattered and hadn't returned. The fire crews... Where are the fire crews? They're dead. All eyes turned to Pierce Fallon, the director of national intelligence. Fallon always had a seat at the table. He just didn't say much unless he was asked, or unless he knew exactly what was happening. He was as unassuming as he was quiet, the kind of man who could effortlessly fade into the background. Those flames will rage until there's nothing left to burn, Fallon said. We have multiple reports of firehouses being attacked at noon, Paris time. Assault and murder of fire department personnel, destruction of vehicles and equipment, fires set to the stations themselves. This drew an immediate police response, but armed gangs were waiting to ambush the police. He paused as something exploded on screen. Another building collapsed. At 12.30 p.m. Paris time, there were reports of attacks on petrol stations, stores, anything that would burn fast and spread the fire to neighboring buildings. With the city's fire response crippled, the results... He gestured to the screen, where the Eiffel Tower looked like a black spike jutting up from the flames of hell. Were quite predictable. Blackman looked shocked, a rare crack in her emotional armor. You're telling me this was a coordinated attack? Fallon nodded. 
No question, Madam President. We estimate about a thousand insurgents were involved. A single word instantly changed the tone of the room. Not infected or converted, but insurgents, an organized force. One thousand, Blackman said. Her shoulders drooped. The city stood for centuries. Just one thousand people destroyed it. Murray's soul sagged with the hopelessness of it all. No invading force, no trained army. Paris had been destroyed by people who knew the city's streets, the routes, knew how the police acted, knew where all the fire stations were. Paris had been destroyed by Parisians. Blackman turned to Murray. A coordinated strategy. Can that happen here? Once again, he was out on a limb, giving his best guess at something not even the smartest people he'd ever met could understand. He gestured to the monitor. Right now, we're looking at a feed from CNN. The entire world is watching the same images we are. These converted are obviously more organized than we've seen in the past. We have to assume some of them are watching this and are seeing a strategy that works. If their goal is to destroy, now they know how. Blackman put her hands on her face, rubbed vigorously. She lowered them, blinked, and raised her eyebrows. Get the word out to law enforcement in the major cities, and especially Chicago, New York, the places most heavily infected, that they need to protect fire stations. People started to talk, to protest, but the president held up her hands for silence. I know every police force is already spread thin, but if a city can't fight fire, then we lose that city. Even if it's a couple of cops in each firehouse, at least that gives us a chance. She put her hands on the table, leaned heavily. She looked at the image of a burning Paris. Not here. Not on my watch. You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.